Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Inquisitive Introvert Podcast. I'm joined today by Dr. Rogers, who will be leading the Level 1 Trauma Center on the south side of Chicago. And I'm expecting it's opening up this May. Is that right, Doctor? Yes. The Trauma Center at the University of Chicago Medicine opens May 1st, 46 days from today. So my first question, Doctor, is what made you become a doctor and a surgeon, for that matter? My journey to becoming a surgeon started largely in high school when I discovered that my enjoyment of learning about how the human body works was um, also joined by a desire to help others. And as I went through college, focused on a major in biology, the idea of marrying my love of knowledge of science and helping people led me to a career in medicine. And in, when I, I got to medical school, I was really intrigued about this idea that you can use your mind, your hands to help and heal people. And that led me to a career in surgery. You always hear these stories about how tough medical school is and how many people initially want to think they become a doctor and eventually drop out. So I apologize if this is redundant, but what made you sort of stick with it? And and did you ever contemplate sort of saying, hey, maybe I'm just better off being more so an academic or a teacher? What made you stay in medical school? It's funny that you mentioned that because one of the big ideas for me about becoming a doctor was to be a teacher. In a classroom, you teach students about history or science, but I thought that becoming a doctor was the ultimate way of being a teacher and a servant. When I was going through medical school, it certainly was hard, but it was not harder than anything else I had ever done. In many ways, medical school is more focused on acquiring a lot of information and having the ability to study a vast amount of different types of knowledge and be able to apply it to helping people. So keeping me focused on that made it actually fairly easy because I knew what my end game was. I knew the reason why I was working so hard as a medical student. How has sort of dedicating your life pretty much to helping people, how has that interfered with establishing long-term friendships and relationships? Has it sort of gotten in the way of that, or has it just sort of enhanced your life in a variety of different ways? I am incredibly blessed to have been uh, married, but unfortunately now divorced. Uh, but and through the marriage, I have three wonderful young men sons who are 22, 18, and 15, and my life is very much enhanced by all the relationships, mentees, friendships I've developed over the course of my career. I actually don't think that it's been a negative working hard as a physician because it has allowed me to enter people's lives sometimes in the worst day of their lives. And it is an incredible privilege to be able to meet people where they are, have them develop trust in you and your abilities to help them and to accompany them on their journey if it's for a day, a week, or the rest of their life. And doctor, what made you focus on trauma? Why that specifically? Well, it's interesting that you ask that question because when I look back at my career thus far, it was it's like I was always destined to be a trauma surgeon. So I mentioned earlier that I was very interested in helping people and using my knowledge of science to help people. 
So for me, I was never just wanting to focus on cancer or focus on diseases of the thyroid gland or diseases of any particular organ. I really wanted to help people. And for me, using the skills of a surgeon to help people, trauma was the most natural fit. You don't really get to pick your trauma surgeon in some ways, right? Because you don't really walk up and say, okay, I'm going to go have a traumatic injury today. And in that space, it's incredibly important to be able to develop trusting relationships with people that you've never met. And in some ways, I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie, but in other mm-hmm. ways, you have this incredible opportunity to develop a really strong relationship with people in a very limited amount of time, and the stakes are very high, life and death. And in that space, it's an incredible blessing to be able to help people on a day of incredible need. And doctor, one of the things I'm always curious to know for people that work as surgeons and just in a medical field that are intimately involved with patients, how do you guys deal with death, especially since it's so close up? How do you reconcile your mind and your mission with that? I think death is often viewed as the ultimate end, but one of the realities of life is that it does end. And in the space of traumatic illnesses, when someone goes from being well to having a traumatic injury and then dying, your job as a surgeon is to do everything you can to help them. But even in death, you can help their families. People remember so strongly how you make them feel. And in the midst of a tragedy like someone's death, or even the dying process, surgeons and doctors and nurses have an incredible opportunity to connect with people and help them through that process. Dr. Rogers, how do you build up those relationships and those trusts? I know, you know, it's the underserved community is just, I don't think that they have the opportunity for some other communities to receive health care. So it takes a little bit longer to really build up that trust. So how do you do it? I've actually been also a surgeon very interested in healthcare disparities and addressing ways to eliminate them. There's no simple way to build a trust, especially when you're trying to do it quickly. But it starts with you being your authentic self. Going back to the Maya Angelou quote, people may not remember what you say, they may not remember what you do, but they remember how you make them feel. So one of the things that I am strongly invested in when I meet people who will become my patients or their family is really connecting with them as people. And that starts with my authenticity that I'm here as a service to help them. Then the other thing that is so important is a commitment to be with them, to meet them where they are, have people for who they are, not who you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And I think people really know when you're being authentic, they know when you express caring, and that's probably the strongest way you can establish trust. What is sort of the prevalent illness or disease you see in some of these underserved communities? It's unfortunate in many ways that there are several types of diseases that are prevalent in minority communities. In some ways, there are diseases of stress, diseases such as depression, anxiety. They, in addition to those mental wellness diseases, 
There are also diseases that are chronic medical conditions for which many people of color don't seek consistent medical care. Those include chronic medical conditions like hypertension or high blood pressure and diabetes. And the trouble with those two types of diseases is if they're not managed well, one is typically never cured of them, can be managed. If they're not managed well over time, they lead to several end organ damage, such as kidney failure or heart disease or strokes. And Unfortunately, those diseases are exceedingly common in communities of color and are exacerbated when those communities of color have limited access to culturally appropriate health care. And doctor, what are some of the ways, how do people that have access sort of get that information to people that don't access, have that access to healthcare management or chronic illness management? What are some of the things that we can do to sort of, I guess, usher those people to the right resources? One of the key things are things like this show. I think if you don't know, it's hard to do the right thing for your patients or to for yourself or for your children. So it starts with awareness. There has to be increased awareness of the impact of these diseases over the long term and what they do to the human body. But in addition to awareness, there has to be engagement. And what do I mean by engagement? I mean individuals, families, communities have to become engaged about their agency or their ability to impact in a positive way their health. We often think about health in very mystical terms, in terms of, you know, it's God's will or um, it's external to us. But there are elements of health that are within our control. Many chronic medical conditions are altered by our behavior, including smoking, exercise, watching what you eat, the amount of calories you consume, the amount of salt that you consume, and daily habits every day. And those are things that are within our individual control, but you have to have awareness of them and you have to have engagement with how decisions you make every day affect your health. And Dr. Rogers, you've accomplished so much. So I guess my next question is, what was your first professional success? When did you realize, you know, hey, I'm pretty good at what I do? I actually am reflecting on that question, thinking <laughs> that I'm still on a journey. I'm on a journey every day to get better. And with respect to success, I'm always aiming to get better every day. So I don't really think I have, quote unquote, arrived. I have done significant things thus far in my life, but in many ways, this opportunity standing up in a adult trauma center at the University of Chicago Medicine on the south side that has not had adult trauma services for over a quarter of a century is doing something of significance. And in many ways, that's not feel like it's about me, something greater. And I think many ways, we often get incredible sense of purpose and accomplishment from doing things that are greater than ourselves. And Dr. Rogers, for people that want to be in the healthcare industry, whether they're doctors or MAs or nurses, what is your best advice for them to be successful in this industry? I know you mentioned authenticity. Is there anything else that you would sort of advise people like me and other prospects? How do we change the industry? I think that's a great comment you made. There's so many different ways to serve. Medical assistants, nurses, physical therapists, occupational therapists, surgeons, or even other sites like administrations and 
health. The great thing about the healthcare field is that the purpose is often in the context of healthy people. Without service to people, clinics and hospitals don't exist. So if one is passionate about helping people, it's a perfect way of serving others. If you actually want to be in the space of direct patient care, it's often helpful to have interest in Mm -hmm. science areas. And I think sometimes people may feel like they shy away from science. That's just one facet. And certainly in medical school, I remember there were people who were majors in English and history and political science in college and just took the science courses that were necessary or mandatory to get into medical school. I actually think it's incredibly rewarding as a field. And in terms of the traits that one needs, one in some ways starts with some good habits around study because it's actually not as much as I think people may think. It's about one's aptitude, but one's attitude, one's willingness to work hard. And second trait is perseverance because it's not like it's a straight line. Everyone goes to nursing school, medical school, physical therapy school. It's not like they don't fail. They don't, you know, people who fail a class or fail the first time they try to get into a school. And But you got to keep on trying. And then the the third trait, I kind of mentioned it before, is this idea of purpose. I think when the purpose um, is greater than yourself, that pushes you through some of the hard work and some of the failure because you know you're doing it for something that's a greater good. And my last question, uh, Dr. Rogers, I'm an avid reader, um, so I'm always curious to know what, what people love to read and why. So if you could choose one book as your favorite book, what would that be and why? On my table right now, <laughs> I have Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sewer. I have Denisha Coates. We were eight years, and I have oh, yes. Lincoln Leadership, Donald Phillips. So the point is, I actually read many things, uh, <laughs> and I read often, and I read widely. And it's almost impossible for me to answer what is a great book. I sort of remember in college, I read Icelandic literature, I read economics, I read Shakespeare. There was nothing that I didn't get something from. And reading across a diverse array of disciplines and a diverse breadth of writers, as long as it captures your imagination, you gain something from it. You gain a new perspective, you gain a new approach, you gain a new set of connections in your brain that can help you navigate and sometimes be a complex world. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rogers. You have been just an exceptional guest, and I really appreciate it. I've learned so much about you and about your passion for healthcare, and I'm just honored to have the opportunity to speak with you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It was wonderful. I look forward to hearing the broadcast. 